November 20, 2023. It's a Watt from Pedro show. Well, when you're standing up there playing like that, uh, how do you hear the changes? Do you do you think of the changes as you're as you're going along, or does the bass player suggest them to you with what he's playing? Or? Yeah, the bass player. He, I count on him. You know. Please welcome Edward O'Dowd, Tony Conrad, and Genesis Briar, P. Orange.
Watch for Pedro Show. Happy Monday. Started off with John Coltrane talking August Bloom about listening to the bass. Then we had Tony Conrad, Genesis Breyer, P. Orridge, and Edley O'Dowd live at the Donalf Festival. I think they called it the Danube, right? Uh, was the, that was Donau, I think. Yeah, but I think it's another way of saying that river. Oh, really? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I got that wrong, too. But people, you can tell I'm not man alone mode because of those uh, Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention. I got Eddie O'Dowd with me. Welcome aboard, Eddie. What's up? Hey. Got to give credit right away to Dan for the connect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, really interested about your journey through music. So can you get it kicked off by bringing your earliest musical recollection, please? Earliest musical recollection would definitely be that uh, that pivotal garage sale that my mom went to in like 1982, where I was expressing interest in the drums. And she's like, I think I found something for 50 bucks. Do you want to play with it? And she got it for me. I was probably like, 11 years old, and I didn't sound like Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick, and I was pissed off, and I put it in the garage. And when I was 15, a bunch of kids were like, hey, man, can you play any instruments? And I was like, I think I can play the drums. (laughs) So it wasn't just a drum, it was a whole set. It was a whole set, but I sort of ended up doing this kind of like Mo Tucker, which... At that age, I was like, oh, it's Bobby Gillespie from the Jesus and Mary chain. I didn't even know who the Velvet Underground were. And um, so I played standing up and just with the floor tom and the snare and then just eventually started adding a piece here and there. And then by the time I was 16, local hardcore band was like, dude, we need a drummer. And that was that. Well, can I go back before? uh, There was no instruments in the house you grew up? Not at all. So it was actually your ma finding that thing, and she kind of chose for you. She did, and she did in a lot. Like, she would see me, I guess, noticing me, like, playing patterns on things. She also noticed me drawing things and put me in art school. It was like, she was really, she's an incredible, incredibly sharp person, you know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about school. Did you do the choir or the marching band or shit like that? I did marching band and I hated it because I was like a awkward kid and got beat up a lot. And so it was like, you know, I was always made to carry the bass drum. And I was like, I hate these people. I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is quite a trauma, that whole school. What was the first record you bought with your own money, Daddy? With my own money? Yeah, um, because when you're a kid, you ain't got a lot of money. That's why I asked that question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my grandmother, you know, like when I saw Kiss, a picture of Kiss for the first time, I just remember pointing at the TV screen and saying, I want that. Um, And so my grandmother, God bless her, she took me to the mall the next day and we got a copy of Hotter Than Hell. But, uh, you know, that wasn't with my own money. I would say probably with my own money, it was probably the plasmatics. Ah, Wendy. Yep. Because she was, you know, shocking and exciting and, you know, I mean, I didn't know at the time that I was gay, but I was like, whatever she is, I think she's cool, you know. 
Yeah, and did uh, what was the first gig you saw? First gig I saw was also Kiss, but like my first sort of uh, punk show as an adult was uh, Flipper. Whoa. Yeah, 1984 at CBGB's. Okay. I, we saw Kiss a bunch before they had an album out. They would open up for anybody over here in the early 70s. And, uh, Hello. Yeah. Uh, so they went the first, the first gig we went to was T-Rex, but we saw Kiss a bunch. And I remember when the I, album came out, it was so slow. My, my favorite one, though, was the one you got, the second one, Hotter Than Hell. It's just for the artwork alone. I mean, you know, a, a kid like myself, I just, I stared at that cover back in front for friggin' days, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was trippy. I didn't understand what any of it was about. Like, where they, each guy had a story or something. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Paul, like, one of them had, like, chicks, you know, with, like, stars right. on their and stuff like that. And it was, like, scary, but I wanted to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's trippy. And and uh, you were talking about that band, that hardcore band wanting you to join. Yeah. So when um, when I was like sixteen, I had been playing with you know just local kids. We were just making noise and covering whatever goth song we could figure out how to play. And uh, like a bunch of older guys were starting a hardcore band, and they grabbed me. And I started playing gigs with them. That was probably like 85. And were, were those your first gigs ever? Yes. And they were at the uh, the Anthrax in Connecticut. Oh, yeah, yeah. I play, uh, Minutemen played there. Uh, yeah. So we used to play, I mean, we used to play with Youth of Today. Yeah. And all that, like, sort of pivotal stuff that became really big later, you know. Right. What was the name of these cats? Geek Attack. <laughs> yeah. That's a good name. And do you, and one, do, do you remember your player. first Geek Attack gig? Yeah, it was at it was at the Anthrax in Connecticut. It was summertime of '85. Ah, sweaty. Play, <laughs> he went on to play with uh, Make Underdog. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, Danny was the guitar player of Geek Attack. Also, like we, you know, these guys were like, you know, when you're in high school and somebody's two years older than you, it feels like it's a big ancient. difference. It's a huge yeah. difference. So what were you playing? Were you playing just that floor, Tom, or did you have a whole trap kit? I had a whole trap kit, but I didn't, because I was left-handed, yeah. I couldn't do rolls left to right. <laughs> <laughs> so the floor, Tom, became known as the ashtray drum because I would smoke and I would just have the ashtray on the floor, Tom. <laughs> it was the ashtray then, table. Yeah, I learned to swing it around to the left side. And I was yeah. like, oh, now I can play it did yeah. you ever did you ever uh see that band deep purple because their guy he was one of the only rock drummers who actually was left-handed and played left-handed oh really yeah. i actually saw them play last year um i think he's here. still i think he's the only original guy in the band it's him and the singer yeah the, the oh two, the singer's the back well yeah. he was it ian gillian yeah it was ian gillian but yeah it was definitely but, he wasn't the original guy. He was like the third guy or something. But he's the most famous, though. He's the voice, for sure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the drummer had so many triggers on his drum because he's like, he can't really hit that hard anymore. Sure, sure. You know? Okay. So it was just kind of like watching this guy tap, you know? But did you, like but a, did, uh, so you didn't know older drummers because somebody could have told you, hey, why don't you put the snare on the other side? 
Yeah, I didn't know any any older drummers, you know, like my uncle, my dad's brother was like a big inspiration, but I only uh-huh. saw pictures of him, you know, like he wasn't around to help or whatever. So, yeah, it wasn't until like I started really meeting more people outside of where I grew up in Rockland County. Yeah. Then, you know, like the sort of the creative pool really started to happen and like the learning really began, you know. Well, t- tell me again about that gig. How did it go? It was amazing. I was fucking terrified. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> you know, and of course, the guys are all older and they're like, right. being such a big, get up there and play, you know. So I did it and like, you know, and it was awesome. And then we did it a couple more times and summer was over and we all moved on. Oh, um, that band didn't last long. No, just just for a summer, you know, we kind of like all went our separate ways and, you know, just continued playing with other people or whatever. I didn't really do anything that was like a proper band again until probably my early 20s. Whoa. You gave me this There's music. No, uh, what was that? Uh, the Butterflies. Butterflies. Yeah, you did give me some of that. Uh. So that was when I went to, I, I did a semester abroad in England uh, in 1990 just to kind of get a different, I was just bored and I just wanted to do something different. Uh-huh. College had this opportunity and I went over to school there, got accepted, and within a week I was playing in a band. Whoa. And like, you know, just totally by accident, like met somebody in my class. He's like, hey, you know, you're a drummer. You want to come down and jam? Next thing I know, I'm playing gigs. Next thing I know, we're in the fucking Melody Maker. And I, I'm 20 years old. You know it, what, it, I mean? what, like, what, what drums are you? didn't bring your drums over there, did you? No, I bought like, you know, borrowed, bought, yeah. whatever. You know, we all lived in a, in squats in Finsbury Park. And we had a rehearsal room in this old vicarage that was abandoned and shit. It was it was ama- an amazing time to be alive. Wow. Well, you gave me this music. I didn't know the timeline, but you gave me oh, this stuff called Toilet Boys. That was 90s and early 2000s when I moved back. Okay. Um, Let's listen to that, and then you can hip us to it. Okay. Turn up the amps and get down to the rock and roll.
even the hardest cases. No?
Watford Pedro show that chunk of music start off with Toilet Boys doing Turn It Up. Then we had Noisuka, brand new. What could be romantic to Mike Top? Position Normal. They're out of England. They got a new album. This is part six of ten called Whistle Conversion. Then Post Homo Humus Jazz. There's a Randolph Carter. He was on the show with uh, Graham last week and uh, part of his uh, difficult music adventure. Side two excerpt. And then finally, Toilet Boys again. Another day in the life. So, yeah, hippest to Toilet Boys, Eddie. So Toilet Boys was kind of this very interesting thing that happened when I returned from England, um, landed back in New York. You know, this is early, early 90s, very different world, you know, at that time. I was like young with a degree in graphic design. There was so much work. There was so much opportunity to be creative. And uh, this this club night called Squeezebox happened, which was uh, it was at this place called Don Hills on the west side of New York. And oh, it was yeah, a, Don Hills. I remember that. Yeah. So Friday nights was called Squeezebox, and it was this kind of gay, straight, everything in between mixed club night. But you'd have a rock band playing at 10 o'clock, and then at 2 in the morning, a live band with, like, drag queens and stuff would be doing Led Zeppelin covers or punk. I mean, this place was so amazing. Yeah. And the resident DJ named Miss Guy, who's from California, um, approached me and said, would you want to play drums with me? Because Debbie Harry's going to do a secret performance here and she wants us to open. And uh, so she said, you know, Guy said, it's going to be Miss Guy and the Toilet Boys. We're going to play four songs and that's that. The phone never stopped ringing after that gig. <laughs> But you know, Eddie, I got to ask you about the butterfly adventure in England. How did that end up? So it ended up that they, I, I left um, because it was just getting too complicated to stay with visas and all this kind of stuff. And oh, yeah. yeah. It, it was up and down. They continued on for another year without me, but kind of um, fizzled out, you know. But it's just, th- those recordings are such interesting artifacts because that was when it was like full on shoegaze which is something that I never thought anybody would care about in the rest of the world. Yeah. And now it's this movement that everybody like heralds and, and they're so excited about and all this mystery around these groups in England at the time. And like, and I was, I was in one of them. You know what I mean? That, it's kind of a weird. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, fate puts you in a trippy pl- place. And was, is that your f- first recording was with butterflies? I mean, first legit recording. Yeah. Like done in a studio. Yeah, for sure. And um, that was actually the same studio where My Bloody Valentine recorded uh, their tremolo EP. Oh, wow. So you know you know Kevin. I don't know Kevin, but I know Deb. Okay, um, I've yeah. Met Kevin, but Deb's Kevin been on the show because uh, Thirst got her in the band and said, hey, what? You should have her on your show. So some really uh, good yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, Deb's a wonderful, amazing person. But... Uh, but yeah, so that was the first, you know, recording. Did you, can, Eddie? Can I this. can I ask you? Did you did you guys play as loud as Kevin, <laughs> My Bloody Valentine? We did. We certainly did. Wow. I think everybody at that time in England, <laughs> it was all about being loud, you know. But, uh, <laughs> then but Jay yeah, Maskus got into that. Yeah. Butterflies was also like it was what was happening in England at that time was shoegaze, but then of course there's all these 
subsects of music that nobody talks about. Uh-huh. And Butterflies were actually a lurch band, L-U-R-C-H. And, and what, what is lurch? And so within Shoegaze, you had lurch. And lurch was kind of like all those stop and starts where it's like the music stops and the guitar goes, ah, oh, yeah. swings the head <laughs> forward. Yeah, that's, sure. That's lurch. Okay, because it lurches along, right? Yeah, okay. And nobody nobody calls it that anymore, but at the time, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing, for sure. Interesting how music, uh, I think all kinds of expression travels in kind of, a, I don't want to say so much fads, but the kind of movements, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and people like hip each other to these things, they get on board for a while, and then like you said, you never know that it might be a thing. Right. Right. So now when you know, all these these young kids that I talked to are just like, shoegaze, shoegaze. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, back in the day, we fucking hated it. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, Eddie, Vincent sold only one Peyton. And look at his Peytons go for all this fucking money now. You know? So true, sometimes, true. you know, sometimes it's like that. There's no in the moment. There's no, uh, quote, justice, unquote. But then down the road might have all kinds of, I don't know, uh, it meant something to somebody. Right. So, uh, yeah. okay, now that we, I, I just wanted to close that up because I was wondering, since that kind of, well, you come back and you got a degree, you're ready to do graphic arcs, but this music thing is still, like you say, it won't, they, they don't hang up the phone. No, not at all. They don't hang up the phone. And then, you know, but that kind of makes it, what it did was it, it enabled me to make kind of like a, a hybrid life of doing professional graphic design work and doing music at the same time. Right, right. Parallel universe. Yeah, and sort of freelance in both, right? And then once technology caught up where I could take a laptop with me on the road, yeah. I could do it. I could I could work from anywhere. Right, right. So the, touring, the touring possibilities became really flexible. I started working for a lot of other bands and just staying on the road because it was fun. Whoa. So, but the Toilet Boys, it was only a couple gigs? No, you ended up recording, nope. of course. Oh, Toilet Boys did albums. We did. We toured with uh, toured with a lot of people and like did great opening slots for, you know, Debbie Harry. All sorts. We we did a tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers in Europe, um, in I think two thousand two. That was the last tour we did. Yeah. Who 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 else was in the band? Uh, Miss Guy was a singer, of course. Right? So of course. sort of famous club impresario, Sean Pierce. It's like a seven-foot-tall, fire-breathing guitar that you yeah. couldn't forget. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then, yeah, like a few other guys. We had Cardone, um, our bass player. He's a vaudeville magician and hilarious, you know? <laughs> wow. And it's just a random thing like that came up, and it ended up being a, yeah. A yeah, it lasted, lasted for almost 10 years, you know? And, and musically, were you... Uh... You know, a lot of times people don't expect drummers to be composers, right? But yeah. why, why? It's a musical instrument just like any other one. It's I, I really hate that idea of hierarchy. Uh, do, yeah. Did you ever never, write anything uh, musically for the drums, for the band? I did. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And was, you know, I've always been sort of a person to make, you know, where it's welcome, of course, but to make suggestions or like, structural decisions about like should the chorus come next and this and that yeah you know? yeah yeah 
In a um, way, there's a great perspective from the drummer because they, they can, you know, it's rhythm music, so why not have the guy who's not, who's least in denial? <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, that that's very true, you know. And I've been in situations where, you know, it's welcome and situations where it's not. But, like, the way I, I prefer to work is just that everybody contributes and then when people start arguing about the publishing, you just split it evenly. It's easier, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. So after Toilet Boys... After well, butterflies, toilet boys. What? What? Uh, did you keep on the drums? I did. Um, I ended up after toilet boys. Or, you know, it was it was starting to become clear that we weren't really sustainable as toilet boys, and everybody was sort of looking for something else. And my friendship with Genesis Peorage kind of started to to flower, and Jen wanted to do music. And that was a very ripe opportunity because here's somebody who, you know, a lot of people like and nobody was supporting them and nobody was helping them get out there. And I said, if you want to do a show as Psychic TV, let's see what happens. OK, um, OK. So he was starting to do Psychic TV. He wanted to and was, you know, and I was sort of putting that bug in their ear. And okay. basically, Genesis said to me, like, I'm going to call your bluff, you know, and say to you. You come to me with a band and a set done, ready to go. I walk out on stage. I do the gig. That's it. Right. And um, so little did they think that I was going to actually do it. And I did. And they had to do it. And after that, then the phone didn't stop ringing again. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you put together a psychic TV gig before there was a psychic TV? Correct. <laughs> wow. What, so, so, so just, what was it like? Like a script? Did you have like Genesis parts? I mean, well, I chose ten. I chose ten or twelve songs, okay. and hired musicians and and like worked them all out in rehearsals, and then called Genesis and said, "I'm ready for you to come in and sing," and they did, and they couldn't believe that I had actually done all that. You know, that it was yeah. basically ready to go. Wow! Now. You had Genesis in mind, of course, when you're uh, going through these musicians, right? Who oh, to yeah, pick. yeah. Yeah. Kind of like I said to Jen, like, let's do one gig together and see what happens. And Jen said, I don't want to do any work. I don't want to hire anybody. But uh, I said, all you'll have to do is sing. So I did all that legwork myself. <laughs> Man, we're at the end. <laughs> pretty incredible. We're at the end. I want to hear more about it. We're at the end of the first hour, though, November 20, 2023. Dish, what, Peter said. Special guest Eddie O'Dowd. Hold tight for hour two. November 
We have to explain this a bit. Have you ever been to a lot of different cities in the world and you'll find that all the prostitutes... Not that I checked, but if I did, all the prostitutes tend to congregate in the same place year after year, century after century. For example, if you go to Rome, there's a, a, a street outside and on the right are the transsexual prostitutes and on the left are the biological females and they've got bonfires, and they've been going there for hundreds of years. They can't leave that space. And if you go to Soho in London, let's get a little bit more local, there's been a lot of sex stuff going on there for a very long time. Why does it stay in the same place? Is it the memory of the sex? Is it the attraction in the buildings and the earth that draws people back? Because there's no real convenience to it, right? This used to puzzle me a lot. Why do different things happen in the same place? In New York, there's an area where it's diamond merchants. And they're always in the same street. Why? What draws them there? Is it just commerce? Or is it deeper? I don't know. But I do wonder about it. <laughs> Probably too much, yes. So that's about the earth. It's over. A city is insatiable. It can never get enough. And I have come to this conclusion that cities are spiritually insatiable. I feel myself being consumed. And of course, nothing really does anything to anyone, but it feels like that's happening. So if we project a little bit, and if we expect something a little more than just mundanity, then could we demand satisfaction from a street? It's your fault that I'm looking for a prostitute because you've been using prostitutes for hundreds of years. So I blame you that I'm here. Or is our repulsion of certain places similar? As if those solids, those walls, those stones, those buildings say, stay away. You're not welcome here. So maybe then buildings are, are fantasies and fetishes and desires 
and they hide them in their shapes. I don't know about satisfaction, but these areas, they demand a fluid climax, something satisfying in its own way. And parts of me don't like being drawn to the same place. And parts of me don't like the comparisons with others who've been there first. But I have to get things done. I need my orgasms. <laughs> so I go anyway. It's a kind of ambition. Perhaps eventually this won't happen anymore. And I look at these buildings that seem so solid and suddenly all I see are shadows. And the city is eating, digesting, hungry to maintain itself. Maybe we're just the food of the buildings and this great big machine. So I'm immersed in this city. Today it's London. Tomorrow it's Leeds. And this way that I feel is overwhelmingly unhealthy. I'm mingling my internal desires with external forces. And it's not very moral, the result. And it's location, location, location. It's worth more every time. So here we are, engorged. Desiring seduction, a cellular exchange, a little bit of a short, sharp electrical discharge right in the genital area. And I absorb all this information and I try and make sense and balance. And I shelter and I hide and I stay wrapped up in bed and all my senses are driven but I refuse them I feel so tough I refuse to go back there I refuse to accept that this place could control me and instead of speeding there just running walking fast I give honor to my act of thinking changing and refusing and perhaps that's why we really are a free organism Absorbed under time and driven deep. <laughs> this is the final war, a jigsaw. A war to repossess yourself. There is no gender anymore. Only 
androgyny is divine. Sexuality is a force of nature. It cannot be contained. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Stand together. Join man and woman and love inside you. Join and love the man and the woman repeated inside you. Join and love the man and woman inside you separated at birth. Their cries for justice, I can hear them. Get up, get up, stand together. Join and love the man and woman separated at birth inside you and their cries for justice. Reunite them. Identity is your only true possession. Identity is your only true possession. And as a being possessed, repossess yourself. Be possessed by yourself. Any self. Every self. Every self you ever were or were afraid to be or could be or dreamed of. Be yourself. Get up! Get up! Stop it! Right now! Stop it! Own yourself. Stop being possessed by new characters written by others. Change your ID card. Cut it up. Cut it into the shape of a heart. Be heartfelt. Feel your heart. Throw it at a cup. Your heart is your art. And rebuild yourself from the found up. Identity is theft. Identity is theft. Nothing short of a total gender. These puppeteers of the new way, they're on a download slave software. Look for them. They're trying to get inside your brain. And make you lazy and stop thinking. But there's no reason you can't be somebody different every day you wake up. So even right at the beginning, when you were a little wriggling tyke, a little tiny wormy thing in the cellular defenses of a womb, you still had choices of what to become. And your resources are stretched taut, thinner than a fatal condom ripped on a monstrously seductive evening. Everyone says it broke. That destructive fucking cock breaks all those condoms. We call it the snake of evening. It's rigid with victory as it says, Yes again! I have just released the jism of control. 
It's Victorian. <laughs> it's a Victorian snake. <laughs> the arrows of sex penetrate the egg. And they're spiraling downwards. <laughs> the double bluff. The double helix. The story of those chosen to come. Chosen, but not by choice. Not you, not you, not you. Maybe you, not this, not that. It's just DNA. A little strand of stuff. It's stranded. It's almost stranded, but not quite on arrival. And we slap its bum into shape. And by this delivery, you are slapped into life. And your deliverers say, Oh, it's a girl, it's a boy, it's a girl, it's a boy. And they release their pre-recorded software right down into you and your conditioning. And through the ages, this conditioning has taken over and become the only recording. And now its purpose is only to serve the rich and powerful. So by saying, this is my identity, you refuse control. And by changing your identity, you confuse control. Change the way to perceive and change all memory. Or otherwise, change the way to perceive Change the entire story. <laughs> Crick was on LSD when he said, I'm struck dumb by the elegance of DNA. This double helix that I can only see on acid, this is life. But then all of us are the lab rats. And then whose elegance really is it? Is it your elegance? Two snakes, two spines, entwined, going their separate ways after 49 days, are a recording device. They start as a single cell becoming a double cell, becoming many cells eventually becoming a little tadpole, becoming a little lizard, becoming a fish, becoming an amphibian, becoming something on land, becoming a mammal, becoming a monkey, becoming a so-called human. Therein lies the problem. Are we just recordings? And if we're recordings, is this movie finished? In the beginning, all 
were perfect. The first man was the first woman, and the first woman was the first man. That's when the whispering began. And then the first man became the first man, and the first woman became the first woman, and then all fucking hell broke loose. Time to go beyond that moment. No matter how sincerely we think we know what we are, we have no idea. All of you, here, now, all of you are vital. All of you are vigorous and all of you have infinite options. Stop hiding. Stop looking around to see what everybody else is thinking. Stop thinking about being what you inherited. Stop worrying about parents, punishments, ridicule. Look in a mirror and say, what do we really want to be? Because we can. We can all be ultra-genetic terrorists. And one man is another man or another woman. And one woman is another man or another woman. And they're all whatever they fucking want to be. And every man and woman is a man and woman. And all of them are stars. There is a time and a place when everything indecent must be rejected. So redesign yourself. Redesign yourself. End any social or sexual misery. Taste the sweet electricity of choosing and pandrogyny. This time around, you can have any body. So put away that focus that someone else put on you. We are all but one bitch. And we declare war against all binary systems. All either-or systems are innately corrupt and wrong. We support self-determination and liberation and total freedom from all possible and for all possible and impossible identities. We believe in every sexuality. So destroy the control of DNA. And destroy the control of family. And destroy the control of society. And destroy the control of religious dogma. And just look. Riding on a goat.
the goat scrapes by. I'm riding on this goat. The goat scrapes by. Like a warrior, like a warrior cast, trapped in a shell. Riding on a goat, taking death to smile in hell. Riding on a goat, smiling in hell. Every time I swallow, I swallow my existence. Every time I swallow, I swallow my existence. Every time I swallow, I swallow my existence. I leave my existence behind, riding on a goat. I leave behind nothing, riding on a goat. I compete with my own silence, riding on that goat. I feel my own pestilence, and riding on that goat, I see the snake girl. Riding on a goat, I feel the bell ringing. Riding on a goat, I feel the choir singing, and I am dusty, and I am dirty. And I am looking and lost, riding on a goat. A clamor roars out, riding on a goat. I hear the bell ringing, settles in the distance, like a warrior in a shell, riding on a goat. My feet are more dirty. Riding on that goat, I swallow. Riding on a goat, I eat my existence. And riding on a goat, I leave nothing. Riding on a goat, all I have is silence. Riding on a goat, all I have is time. Edley O'Dowd, everyone, and thank you. Genesis Briar Piorage, everyone. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. for Pedro show start off the second hour with a special hit doing hag uh, brother Steve McKay after that with the blue prostitutes doing lament live Caesars Palace October 16th 2007 Tobin Sprout after that with the rabbit song Eugene Chadbourne in honor of 
Ivegni, Karlovich, Tukotsky, and then finally, Genesis Breyer, P. Arge, and Edley O'Dowd, live at Cafe Odo. So, we got to clear something up, people, because uh, this uh, special head is actually between butterflies and toilet boys. <laughs> Enlighten us, Eddie. All right. So, when I came back from England, right, before toilet boys happened, um, I met these lovely ladies who were forming a band called Special Head, and they were kind of like East Village, New York, luminary people. You know, I was like, these are these are cool people to play with. But, uh, you know, three years of that, and then uh, Toilet Boys ended up happening, and I, I took a left turn for Toilet Boys because I was kind of not really wanting to, I don't know, I think kind of feel like Special Head had a lot of maybe a little bit too much arguing for me. Okay. <laughs> Too too much contribution. <laughs> yeah, and so and also like you know when you're in a band with all women, you know what I mean. There's like there's certain things you know. It's like a little uh, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> uh, Steve Shelley's doing that right now with the Bush Tetris. Oh really? <laughs> he took D Pop, yeah, D Pop's place. He's out touring with them right now. So yeah, oh, wow. probably different kind of dynamic. I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Over here, what there was a band, the, the the Hayden Triplets, yeah, that dog, where they had the guy drummer and then all the rest are ladies, yeah, a triplet. Okay, let uh, now we filled in that gap. Let's get back to the Genesis thing. So, where was this this gig that you put together, the the tryout gig for Genesis? So that was in at a place called the Coral Room, um, like by the West Side Highway in New York. Um, nothing around there, like, you know, totally dark, desolate streets. It was a bar that had a human-sized fish tank, and they would have women swimming around behind the bar. Um, and this, you know, it didn't have a PA. We brought everything in, you know. And then, of course, on the day of this show, it was, you know, 2000 or 2001, I think. And it was the, the snowstorm that literally shut down the tri-state area. Oh. It took four hours to drive from Queens to Manhattan, you know. So we get to the gig and we're thinking, man, all of this work for nothing. Nobody's going to show up. Right. There are more, more than capacity lined up around the corner in the snowstorm, everybody with umbrellas. Wow. So this was a balls out, crazy gig. People spilling onto the street like total just nuts, you know. And Jen had no idea, nor did I, you know, so I was really happy that I was able to kind of pull that out for Jen, that they could go into their, you know, retirement, like doing really great gigs because they didn't even realize people wanted it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So with that, we were able to really like we started really experimenting with the music and I kind of strove to make this really fun thing for Jen where it's like, let's cover the songs you grew up with when you were a teenager. Let's do Hawkwind and Can and, you know, like, and Jen was all about it. Like, it just was more and more fun for them as time went on. And and who was in this version that you, you put together? All friends of mine, you know, and then people that I kind of met along the way. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Oh, like who specifically? Yeah. Oh, so we had Al. We had the bass player. We had the whole time was named Alice, uh, and she was in a lot of like Hoboken bands and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so she held down bass the entire time we were, you know, for the whole twenty years. Um, we had several different guitar players: David Max, Jeff Burner, 
um, several different keyboard players, um, you know, and always me on drums. Okay, so kind of a trio thing behind Jen. Usually it would be five. Okay. Because when Jen's wife was still alive, oh, yeah, like yeah, she, of would, course, of course. she would do keyboards and samples and stuff like that. So, you know, we'd kind of switch those duties around as it made sense. Like I took on sampling at one point because it was easy to work it into the, the kit, the drum kit. Uh-huh. Um, things like that, you know, but it was primarily always five people. You know, you know, you get, we just heard this thing, this live at Cafe Odo. When was that? That was 20, I think 2015 or 16. And that was only Jen and I. Sometimes like we would do these spoken word soundscape gigs, you know, just the two of us intimate, you know, and Cafe Auto, like that's a cute little place. that Yes, yes, in London. Yeah, I played there. When it's packed, it's like a great vibe. So, I mean, I was so happy we were able to make that live recording. And, and then the one we played at the beginning of the show with Tony Conrad. When yes, and Jen, Jen, Jen and Tony wanted to collaborate, and they roped me into it. We probably did that as a trio maybe like six or eight times uh, in New York and Europe. Um, and it was just super fun. It was like never rehearsed. We would just get up there and just, just do it, you know. And that was something that I learned from, you know, people like Genesis and Tony, these like luminaries who really know how to improv yeah. and and make it work. I mean, the experience that I gained from working with people like that is like, it, it, this, you can't buy that kind of experience, you know? No, it's life experience, I think, is the teacher. So uh, you have to live probably to get yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But how to like, how to be in a room with other musicians and not like second guess, like how to really feel it, you know? Yeah. You know what? I've always been curious about how do you know? Who's going to go first in an improvised situation? You kind of just watch and listen. And like, I always make sure to never be the first one to, to like step in, you know, like listen, feel, and then add as it feels appropriate and always give other people space. So you're saying listen almost as much as make sound. A hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Well, somebody had to go first. <laughs> Maybe just. Yeah. 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 But with, you know, you got Genesis and Tony, it's like, let them go. Yeah, there's no problem. (laughs) There's no problem. And then then you get the the springboard, people bouncing off each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. And and being the drummer, man, would you you feel like uh, kind of grooves, kind of riffs, kind of, or were you more event-driven? or Those sorts of uh, gigs were more about, like, there were drums, but never a drum kit, you know. Okay. It would be like a, an orchestral bass drum, a couple of gongs, some electronics, some hand percussion, and a whole lot of reverb, you know? Okay. So a lot of accents, a lot of like trying to get, uh, almost make a dialogue-like conversation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And then, I mean, you said you did six or seven times with Tony. How many times yep. did you do it with Genesis just as a, du- a duet? Probably a dozen. Oh, wow. Over okay. the year. Yeah. And all of I them were different, right? Yeah. And sometimes it would, you know, like in, in the beginning, it wasn't just me and Jen. There might be like a guitar player involved or somebody that they chose. And um, 
you know, the first time I ever did it, it was me, Jen, Jen's wife, who was my first girlfriend, by the way. That's the connection between Jen and I. Um, Jen's late wife was my first girlfriend in 1984. <laughs> Small world. <laughs> I, I remember when, I, so, when I met her. Jen was wearing the same clothes she was. Yep, they were doing a whole twin the, thing. The, the thing yep. with the, the the horizontal stripes, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So Jen, you know, we we were do we had done the first psychic TV gig. We were you know like planning to do some more stuff. Uh-huh. And Jen's, I got a call from the Latrange Festival in in France, and they wanted us to do like a spoken word experimental thing. And Jen wouldn't tell me like what they wanted me to play or whatever. And so I keep getting calls from this festival and they're like, uh, excuse me, Ms. Ms. Edward, we need to know what you need. you know." <laughs> and so finally I said, just give me three floor times, two cymbals, a gong. I just like just started sputtering shit out. <laughs> and then I had to figure out how to play it when I got there. And that's what I did. <laughs> that's the way we do it. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You can make it work. You're gonna finesse it. You're gonna finesse it. <laughs> yeah. Overthrow reality with the concept. Forget. I want to be your student, Eddie. Totally. We're at the end of the second hour, <laughs> November 2023. 20, Dish Watt Peter's special guest, Eddie O'Dowd. Hold for hour three. November 2023, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show. Thank you. 
first time we were together You made me a rose petals back Took me in your arms Destroyed all my paranoid qualms Nobody ever told me they loved me Nobody ever said I was beautiful Nobody ever said they loved me No one said I was beautiful Until I met you Until I met you
Shame. 
Watch for Pedro Show. Start off the third hour. Psychic TV. In fact, three Psychic TV songs. His first one was Thank You, Part 1. Second one, Greyhounds of the Future. Third one, After You're Dead, She Said. Psychic TV. So, Eddie, why'd you give me these three tunes out of all the tunes that you did with them? I wanted to give you a mixture of, of, of like, style and, uh-huh. um, you know, kind of, like, how we ended up towards the end creating music out of not planning anything. Um, so Thank You Part One and Greyhounds of the Future were both studio jams that were, like, probably a half an hour long, and then I would sit with the takes and kind of time-code it all out and figure out how to construct a song. Whoa. Um, yeah. So it was like a really backwards way of working, but the result to me was so exciting and profound. Like Greyhounds of the Future, that was a 20-minute jam. I listened to it, and I'm like, I really hate my drums. And I said, I want to replay it. The engineer said, there's no way you're going to be able to match that. And I said, can you humor me? Just give me a pair of headphones and let me try. I, I did it 10 times better than I did it the first time. <laughs> you showed him. You know, there's you a... can, the thing is, like, if you know how to play, you can yeah. play to yourself because you know how you play, right? Good point. And so, this idea of like demystifying, like, oh no, it's it's done. You can't, you can't go. It's like, yeah, you can. You know, it's everything's possible. Yeah. Um, and then after you're dead, she said, was like just an example of how we could write something really sweet and poppy at the same time. You know. Sure. Um, now, did, so that that come, up, did that come out of a jam, or was it like premeditated? It came out of a jam, but it was definitely more premeditated, where we didn't work so much with time codes as sit down and say, okay, let's put the chorus here, let's put the, you know, this and that. Right, right. And what about Greyhounds of the Future? That was the one where I replayed my own drum parts. Oh, you know, okay. It was like an okay. experimental jam that I wanted to flesh out further so i kind of just in a sense like stepped into the center of the song and worked my way out you know right right and what was special about thank you part one that was it just that was a jam that would like we didn't expect to do it was the end of the night and we yeah. all got emotional about you know losing jen's wife and, and all this stuff and these lyrics came out and it was all that was all done as it as it happened you know what i mean jen's yeah. lyrics all that stuff Wow. Was there ever a part two? Oh, yeah. The, the B-side of the 12-inch. <laughs> okay. 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 Oh, I think I know. I, I think I know which one this is. Okay. Yeah, that's right. A 12-inch single. Okay. Uh, where did you do a lot of psychic TV recording? Where do we do it? Yeah. Studio. Was it oh, over there on the east oh. side? Most often at the the guitar player we had for the last ten years of the band, he uh, he's a great engineer and works in a studio in Brooklyn. So we would record with him for the most part. Okay, in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. And uh, there wasn't demos and stuff. You you would do this improv, kind of like the way you did gigs, but you could go back and start working with that stuff that you made. Yeah, yeah. So demos, you know, like traditional demos weren't really a thing with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, demos, in a way, they're like a gig, huh? 
You know, there, there's uh, one, uh, I don't know, period of your music we didn't talk about, and I think I got out of the timeline, but the Scorpion T. That's my current, my current. Oh, so, okay, my, okay. My <laughs> so I kind of got that right, because I, I got that still to play here. Uh, yeah. Let, let me play Scorpion T, and then we can talk about it. Okay.
from Pedro Show Last Music for this edition. We started that chunk of music out with Scorpion T doing In a Vile Suit. Then Anti-Industry with Symbol Arousal. The Butterflies, this is going way back with Eddie, but we cleared that up. Violet Blues, Shoegaze before they called it that, people. Victoria Shen with one RPM turntables played by Bose, example number two. Uh, the library is on fire after that with Smoky Mirrors and finally Scorpion T with clandestine whispers. And Scorpion T, people, this is Eddie's current thing. So let's, right in the moment now, let's check out and see what Eddie's doing. How, how did Scorpion T come about? So after Jen passed away in 2020, I kind of had a, um, a series of, I don't know, a lot of life-altering stuff where it was like, the direction of my life, where I was living, all that stuff, it all started to change. And an uh, old friend of mine uh, who's from Colombia called me up and said, hey, you know, you want to come visit? It was still pandemic. and um, But somehow I, I was able to find a cheap flight out there and I really needed to get away. Went yeah. to Colombia. He played me a bunch of stuff and I was like, you want to make a new band? You know, want to move back to New York and uh, make some music with me? And we're just, we've been totally committed to that for the last two years. And he's a Colombian cat, or is he a New Yorker? He's a Colombian New Yorker. Like, he was born there, like, grew up here, moves back there. Like, he keeps moving back and forth. Okay. And what's he playing? Everything except drums? He's, well, yeah. I mean, everything except drums, but his primary instrument is guitar. And he is the, like, this, this is a situation where he writes and... You know, he comes in with stuff and it's like, we don't need to change a thing because his songs are perfect, you know? Whoa, okay. So that's kind of new for you, right? 
Very new. Yeah, yeah. I've never like never worked this way. Like he sends demos, and I'm like, wow, you know. Oh, the thing we were just and, talking about. Yeah, that trip. How life comes. <laughs> yeah, it's full circle. So like, you know, even this past weekend we played yeah. in Philadelphia, and then went to a studio. A friend of mine has to record some songs. And I said, you know, Chris, in the past, I would have insisted that we just play these songs live a few times so that we can, you know, but again, like it's a new thing where yeah. I've never, I've never worked this way before, you know. How many Scorpion T gigs have there been? There's been five so far. We started playing in August. The album came out in October and we just did our fifth show on Friday and that'll be it until January. Is it just you and Chris or is there more members? Oh no, we've got we've got this is this group is amazing. We've got vocalist and lyricist named Anthony Diaz, who I mean, one of the most profound lyricists I've ever worked with, and that's saying a lot because of Jen. But uh, yeah, I Anthony, love Jen's. Yeah, his lyrics were great. Man. Anthony writes in a way that just every time I hear something, I'm like, "What did you just say? Holy shit!" You know, because it's always just so right on the money, and um. And then my son was was doing bass player duties, and he made his exit. And we've got another guy now named Pepto. They're all um, everybody's like younger in their thirties and um, Latino. Is it four piece? It's a four piece, yeah. Okay. Kind of looking to brand, you know, like because Chris does a lot of flamenco guitar. Like he does a lot of traditional music too. Yeah. And we're kind of going to fuse this with the death rock stuff. To kind of make like a new, like a whole new thing. Also, you know, Colombia, they have their own cumbre kind of style and stuff. I know some uh, musicians here from Colombia. I don't know how ritzy he gets, but, you know, with the accordion and that stuff. And it's wild. Cumbia, yeah. Uh, Well, you know, so so these two uh, Scorpion T songs that I played, is it part of the bigger thing? Did you guys make an album? Yeah, the album came out on October 27th um, on Give Take Records, and uh, it's available on vinyl and digital download. And um, yeah, we were like, we're trying to figure out how to support it next year on the road. But you know how it is. It's like, you got to, it's it's sort of like starting over again. Oh, um, yeah. I've had to do that a so it's, few times. <laughs> I can't just make a phone call and get on tour. I got to like, I got to prove it to people. That's you know? right. You got to sell it, right? Like they sell it, say yep. in wrestling. Uh, well, I think you guys, I really like the Scorpion team. How'd you get the name? Name came from uh, a short form film that the Butthole Surfers made in the early 90s called Entering Texas. Yeah, yeah. You know, their and first Gibby. Hollywood gig was with the Minutemen. I go way back with oh, Gibby and Paul. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, because I was hanging out with Rodney Linderman on Friday night. And, Whoa. Uh, from the Dead Milkmen. Sure, and, sure. Uh, He's got a, a thing called Heinrich, and he, he played before us on Friday night. And he was talking about Gibby because he wanted to know the story, too. And it's like, so when Gibby greets his guests, he says, y'all want some scorpion tea? And then he jerks yeah. off into a cast iron skillet and <laughs> serves it to them in a cup. Um, and I just that marked my brain for so long that I always wanted to call a band scorpion tea. And I'm kind of shocked that nobody ever did. Whoa. Yeah, I was just waiting for you there. Like like a rock that's going to have a great statue inside. It's just got to get carved. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. The, mu- but the music just... was meant to be like, I really wanted it to, like, I wanted the name and the music to match. And it's like, 
if you're going to drink Gibby's semen, it's going to be Scorpion <laughs> tea. Like, you're going to get some pretty fucked up music out of that. I know? met his pop. His pop was Mr. Peppermint on TV. You know this? He was like a no. clown. Yeah, he was a host. And speaking of the buttholes, we got a, we lost Sister Tessa. She's I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But, man, I, I can't, look, I can't wait to have sure. you on again. Uh, would you guys, God, I got to have the whole band on Scorpion T. When you guys are ready to tour, come back on the Wap Provido show and I'll help you promote it. I would love that. Okay. And if, if anything ever comes to your mind, you know, please pass it along. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll let Dan know. Thanks so much. Uh, I love what you did. You're doing. I lo- love what you did. Keep on keeping on, Brother Eddie, please. Thank you, Mike. It's a ple- <laughs> pleasure meeting you. Okay, big love. People, it's been right. uh, November 2023. 2023, this is Juan Pedro. She'll keep you powder dry. <laughs>